For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Let us pray again. Lord, we pray that you would bless the reading and preaching and teaching of your word. We ask, O Lord, that you would help us to understand the gospel more, to secure its basic points in our minds and in our hearts, and that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth would speak, that we would tell it to others and give you glory. We ask in the name of Christ, amen. So before we begin tonight, I just wanted to uh, give an explanation as, again, as to what it is we're doing. Uh, We're utilizing the two ways to live, material, in order that we may understand better the gospel of Christ, and also that we might have its six points, the outline, fixed in our minds, so that uh, we might better articulate and explain the gospel to others when we have that opportunity. And you may be wondering, okay, so we've handed these out in the past. I do hope to get more, by the way, so that we can hand these out to people when we have that opportunity. But you might wonder why in the evening services I've had this in addition to uh, these bifold um, bulletins or programs as well. Well, you can think of a file system on a computer. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. So you have all of these folders on your hard drive, and then you can expand one. You double-click on it, it opens up, and then you have 500 more files or folders in that that one. And uh, if you think about it like that, that's what we're doing. So you can think of this as the first file, and it's very, very simple. Uh, the gospel, by the way, is pretty simple. It's message, and as I prayed earlier and said, at the same time, it is profound. And so we're looking at the gospel presented simply, and that's, that's what this is. Um, now, when it comes to this uh, handout, this is the expanded version. A little more explanation, a little more scripture, so that we can understand and kind of dive a little deeper uh, and understand the points that we are talking about. And uh, that's a rationale for what we are doing here tonight. If you have this handout, you can see uh, that tonight we come to the fourth point in the outline. And uh, you can see there the first three and what they are. The first one is that God created everything and is the loving ruler of His creation. That's where we start. If we're starting with the clean slate, if we're starting from scratch, telling the gospel to someone, we start with God. That's where the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. One of my professors from seminary used to talk about Psalm 19, how the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth His handiwork. And he says that God has gone before us as evangelists through His creation. And so when we bring the Word of God to people, we are bringing to bear upon their hearts and minds what they already know is the case, that God is there. There is a living and true God to whom they are accountable. And so we begin with creation. Revelation 4.11 is the verse there. And um, if you're looking along, you can see the second point is man, M-A-N, 
sinned by rebelling against God and we try to run life our own way and not God's. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seeks after God. God created all things. He created man in His own image. And He created man to be the ruler over the earth under Him. But that's not what is the case today. Why? Because man rebelled against God. He sinned against God. And that's the second point, as you can see there. And we talked about that. The third point, then, is that God won't let us rebel forever. And will punish us through death and judgment for eternity. Hebrews 9.27 says it is appointed once for man to die, and then what? The judgment. And so if you simply want to have a one-word outline for each of the points, you can think creation, sin, judgment. And just expand upon those. So that's what we've seen. And uh, if you're looking down, you can see that the fourth point then is Jesus is the man who died for rebels. And the scripture for that is the one we just read, 1 Peter 3, 18. Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And by the way, when you're trying to explain something, uh, and you have points to an outline or something like that, you want to think about transitions when you move from one point to the next. And uh, you can see there, um, I've given us one in order to move from the third point to the fourth point. And it says there, left to ourselves, we would perish in hell forever. But God loved the world and did a wonderful thing. He did something so wonderful, it might seem too good to be true. And so as you talk to people, as you tell them, okay, God's the creator. Here's why he created us. We're made his image to do this, to to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we haven't done that. We've sinned. We've rebelled against God. And you know, since we've sinned, God is just. He's holy. He's righteous. There's judgment coming. You don't leave it right there. I mean, what we're talking about tonight is, is really the glorious aspect of the gospel. God did something. Well, what did he do? He sent Jesus. And so that's the fourth point of the outline of two ways to live, Roman numeral two, in the handout you have there this evening. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And so we can talk about God's love for the world. Um, back when I was younger and going to Sunday school, one of the, the verses we were always made to memorize is what? John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever shall believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. And the interesting thing about John three sixteen is that God so loved the world The world is unlovable in its present condition. It's in rebellion against God, but God so loved it. God's immeasurable love. He set that upon the world so that he did what? He sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can talk then about the love of God. In fact, Romans 5 um, expounds upon what I just said. It tells us about our condition 
when God loved us. Romans 5 and verse 8, but God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us even while we were sinners. And that is a powerful thing. His love is powerful. And so He sent His Son. So then you can see the next transition is a question, well, who is His Son? Who is Jesus? And if you're talking to someone, you can say something like that. Well, you're probably wondering, then who is Jesus? Or maybe you've wondered that before. Um, So we have to answer that question. And you can see there following the outline, first of all, we need to let people know that Jesus is God. He is God. Remember when Peter asked or was asked by, by the Lord, you know, who do men say that I am? And then, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's Peter's wonderful confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we were to study that phrase, that title, Son of God, we would see that, according to Ezekiel, according to Daniel, that uh, the prophets in the Bible, um, that that phrase refers to not only the um, humanity of Christ, but also the deity of Christ. That, that it refers to someone who would be human and at the same time divine, God. Now, we don't have to get off into the, the weeds, but if we're not careful, we will, talking about this thing called the incarnation, because you talk about the two natures of Christ being in one person. This was debated for hundreds of years in the early church, and so we have all these early church creeds. You know, it's not like they mixed, they were mixed together, they remained separate, um, just so you know. But um, while we're talking about this, turn to John chapter 1, because, you know, there, there are several go-to texts in the Bible, you know, the sin chapters, Romans chapter what? Three. Um, well, the, the incarnation chapter, the deity of Christ chapter is John chapter 1. Verse 1, many of you probably have this memorized. It says, in the beginning was the Word. And here's what it says in the Greek. And God was the Word. Actually, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and God was the Word. So there's an emphasis on the fact that whoever this Word is, the Word is God. And of course, we know from reading a little later in the chapter, it's talking about Christ, Jesus. And so the Word is God. God is the Word, and we're talking about the Trinity, three persons in the Godhead. And if you look down at verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so God is one God existing in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 
And so Jesus, the Son, is the eternally begotten Son of God. We can't wrap our minds around that fully. But the Word, the second person of the Godhead, came down, took upon human flesh. You know, we just celebrated, many of us, Christmas. And that's about the incarnation of Christ, taking on carne or flesh. And so that's what he did. So Jesus is God and man at the same time after his incarnation. He's the God-man. And so what did Jesus do then? We can ask that question. You know, some people talk about Jesus and his teaching, which his teaching is the best. He taught with authority, not like the scribes. He taught the will of God for our salvation. He also performed many miracles and basically banished, eradicated disease uh, in Palestine in his day. That's amazing in and of itself. But when you think about it, why did he teach and why did he perform those miracles? I mean, the miracles, they're, they're great, but they were like a badge showing who he was, giving testimony, confirmation that he was the Son of God. Well, if you are looking at the outline there, letter D notes that Jesus lived a sinless and perfectly righteous life. Jesus came to this world. He took upon human flesh, ultimately to live a sinless and perfectly righteous life. Luke 4 talks about the temptation of Christ and that, how that was uh, for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Hebrews 4.15 says that he was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without what? Sin. And so Jesus never sinned, and that should be amazing to all men. So then the question is, why is this so important? Why did Jesus come? Why did the Father send Jesus? Why did he take on human flesh? And why was it so important that he lived a perfect and sinless life? That leads us there to letter E. Jesus died on the cross to bring forgiveness to sinners. Jesus' sinless life had a goal. Or an end. And that purpose or goal was so that he might die as a substitute in the place of sinners. Perhaps if you wanted to, you could bring up this illustration. Go back to the Old Testament. All of those Old Testament sacrifices. Leviticus 1 is a wonderful one. It talks about the four-footed animal, perhaps a lamb. It was offered in the place of the one bringing the sacrifice. And uh, the person making that offering was to lay his hands on the head of that animal, signifying a transfer of guilt to that lamb. The high priest would take that lamb and do what? Kill it, shed its blood. So instead of the one making the sacrifice dying, the lamb died instead of him or her. And so John the Baptist arrives on the scene after Jesus is a grown man, points to Jesus in John 1.29 and says, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
This is the lamb that God has provided. No man has provided this lamb. God himself has provided this lamb in order to take away, to remove forever the sins of the world. Something the Old Testament sacrifices could never do. And so then, if you look at letter E, under that, Jesus, he came to live a perfect life so that he could die in the place of sinners. And that reference there, Mark 8, is just where Jesus, he, he lets his disciples know. He, he starts to, to reveal to them during his earthly ministry, it is necessary for the Son of Man to go to Jerusalem, to suffer under the scribes and Pharisees, and to be crucified. He tells them that there. But also, he died in the place of sinners because God can't just let us off the hook. In Romans 3, Paul deals with this issue. We've talked about it months ago as we've gone through the letter to Romans. And uh, in Romans 3, Paul, in verse 25, says that it is Christ Jesus whom God set forth. He put him on display as a propitiation. By his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Of course that's a whole sermon to unpack that. But the point is this. God sent Jesus. He had Jesus crucified. He set him on display as a propitiation for our sins. Well, what in the world does that mean? You know, that's, that's a no-no in today's world. You're not supposed to use big words. Well, you can define it. It means that Christ satisfied the Father's wrath for our sins. Our guilt was placed on the Lamb of God. As a result, the Lamb of God, Jesus, died in our place God poured out his wrath on his son, and that's the wrath that you and I deserve. That's the substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so at the same time, God is just. He punishes sin, and yet he's able at the same time to forgive us our sins. That's the glory of the gospel in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul teaches that there. So the result, if you're looking at the outline, the result is that a twofold gift is available to sinners. Paul teaches this, 2 Corinthians 5.21. It tells us what the Father did for the Son or towards the Son for our benefit. For he, the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, see, he's sinless, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so this is one of the glories of the gospel, is that at the cross, Jesus took with him his perfect righteousness He obeyed the Father completely, fully, all of his life so that the Father could say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus didn't deserve death. And and so, because Jesus was a man, he was able to pay the sin 
or pay for the sins of men. And yet, when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive that gift of righteousness. And so what happens when we put our faith in Jesus? The work of Christ is applied to us. Our sins are wiped away. They're paid for in full. Why? How? Because Jesus did that at the cross. If we stop there, that means that our slate is simply wiped clean. But we need a perfect righteousness to stand before God. And yet we have remaining sin. Well, that's another part of the gift. God puts that, He charges that to our account. He puts it in our spiritual bank account, the righteousness of Christ. So there's that transaction when we repent and put our faith in Jesus. He wipes away all of our sins so that the Bible can say you were washed. And at the same time, you were justified. You received the righteousness of Christ so that God the Father can look at you and say not guilty. And that's the glory of the gospel. And so then as we think about that, It really isn't all that difficult. I know there's some concepts in there. There are some theological terms. They're in the Bible. But we think about it like this. The first point then of the outline is what? Creation. Okay, our purpose. Who made us? God made us. Why did He make us? To glorify and enjoy Him forever. To rule under Him. But we didn't do that, did we? So what's the second point of the outline? Sin, the fall, we talk about that, all of its consequences. And then what comes after that? God's not going to let us live in rebellion forever. So then what's the third point of the outline? Judgment, that's right. And if we're left there, we're all doomed, not only to the miseries of this life, the pains of death itself, but also hell forever. God didn't leave us there. He loved us. He loved the world. He sent His only begotten Son. So then we talk about Jesus, the man who died for rebels. So those are the first four points of the outline. What are the implications then of this for evangelism? Well, the implications are we must present the bad news before the good news. Also, Jesus is the focal point of the Bible. And then we can't save ourselves. We need someone else to save us. And then last, there's only one way to the Father. That's through Christ. Christianity is the true religion because it has the true Savior. John 14, 6, Jesus himself says no man can come. Or rather, he says no man comes unto the Father but through me. He says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so as we think about the outline, let us fix this in our minds. Let us commit to memory those scriptures. And uh, may the Lord use us, whether it's family or children, friends, co-workers, whomever the Lord brings in our way. And if you can't even say anything, you can always just give them one of these. If you can't give them one of these, give them a church card, because guess what's on the back of a church card? The gospel. I don't know if you knew that. They're right over there been over there for two years not shaming anyone just saying okay we all need to share the gospel more than we do let's pray lord we thank you for 
the Lord Jesus, and what an amazing thing it is to think about your love. It is amazing. Uh, we pray, O oh Lord, that uh, we would be a church that um, knows you, that knows who you are, that knows that thing we call sound doctrine and theology. We pray, O oh Lord, that we are a church that loves you as a result because we know you. And because we know you and love you, we want to share you with others. And may you help us to do that and give us the opportunities to do it. We pray in Christ's name, amen.